Whether you're coming from a boat or a stand, welcome back to the lodge with your hosts, Matthew Dredska. Wait, no, 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 that's not what I meant. No, no, come on, no. Dang. And Patrick Mudge. I really don't know what to say that's funny because I'm not a very funny person. (laughs) (laughs) True. (laughs) Don't tell me they're gone. I wanted nothing left. Don't tell me you're strong. And you got no regrets. Thinking about us, thinking about then. Thinking about how I could have been. Don't cross your mind. So if you're doing fine. Don't tell me Don't tell me Back to the Lodge is brought to you by Icy Tech USA 6.04 p.m. in West Tennessee I'm Patrick I'm Matt I'm Nick And we are back to the Lodge It's the 19th anniversary this week of the dreaded day of September 11, 2001, and uh, we have actually spent the last, call it six weeks, planning this episode. Yep. Uh, definitely been a work in the making, and we wanted to make sure that with everything in the focus in the outdoors, we wanted to make sure that something like this is not forgotten, mm-hmm. um, because it seems lately, if we don't have a common enemy, we turn amongst ourselves. So, putting this episode together, we're going to go ahead and put a little warning out there. Uh, you know, if you have the kids listening, especially the younger kids this week, uh, and you haven't had a talk with them about what happened, this may not be the episode to let them dip their toes in. Uh, somebody that I've known now for several years <clears throat> was fortunate enough to get his time. And obviously, this time of year for him is very hard. Um, but even more so, getting free time from him this time of year is even harder. Um, and that's Fire Captain Tim Brown of the FDNY, who was in Tower <clears throat> 2 for 9-11 uh, under the Giuliani Emergency Management Team at that time. So to have Tim on this show this week, uh, we, we are truly, especially grateful, uh, not just as a show, as a station, but as a community as a company and as a family, uh, we are very grateful to have him on, and we look forward to uh, having a chat with Tim uh, for all of you to understand why today is so important, and obviously Friday, uh, when this will debut in podcast. No, this will be officially the 19th anniversary. So, all that being said, um, we can definitely say the musical arrangement will be very special today. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you're listening to this live on 100.9 FM, you're going to get the full brawl show. Uh, and then if you're listening to this on podcast, then you're going to have, uh, you won't have the music selections due to copyrights and licensing, but, um, we will, we could probably put the links, maybe YouTube links sure. to the music choices Yeah, and that'll make things a little easier. Uh, we'll see how that goes. We had to ask, ask our production team. Well, and I think to back up a little bit to where you were a little earlier, the reason that we're sort of prefacing this with the caution, 
uh, if anybody's ever listened to Tim, and you know, obviously we expect nothing less. He's an incredible speaker. Um, it's not the language that he's ever used in any of his. It's, it's the painting of that it's, picture, it's the, right? It's the we we expect, and you know, who who knows what he what he comes on and all says, but we expect the vivid picture that he paints of that day. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and unfortunately, or fortunately, however you want to look at it, I agree with the way Tim paints those pictures oh, because there's a little bit of shock factor. And unfortunately, over the generations, we become a little more desensitized to things because of whether it be what's presented to us in media, television, social media, video games. You know, when I was a kid, I remember playing Mortal Kombat. If you didn't type ABAC, ABB in or whatever it was, there was no blood in the game. Right. Mm -hmm. And kids now play Call of Duty and appendages are being blown off. and It's not a big deal to them. So... You know, I'm not blaming video games at all, but it's it's a cultural difference. So Tim does a great job of having people remember and just stop, just stop the nonsense for two minutes and listen to what happened that day from his eyes, from his world. You know, in in everybody's life, you are the star of your own movie, and he's in his he's living it. You know, he yeah. he went through it and. Not just then, but even now, he he's still fighting terrorism today, yeah. uh, very actively in D.C. So, you know, I think we all need to be humbled a little bit with everything going on in the world. We talk about getting outdoors and finding mental health, but here's a darn good reason why to do it. And we've we've done a pretty darn good job at bringing on some folks who've really been through some darkness and tough times, and showing you that you know we all make choices and we all make excuses. Mm-hmm. So it's time to stop making excuses. And uh, hug your loved ones and try to do at least one good deed a day for a stranger. It becomes contagious. And contagious becomes a virus. And a virus can be a good virus. And it can spread like wildfire. So pass on that kindness. We're going to take a quick break from our sponsors. And we're going to get right into it. You're listening to Back to the Lodge on 100.9 The Farm. Get up. This moment was brought to you by Higdon Outdoors, a leader in the waterfowl industry for over 25 years. Check us out at HigdonOutdoors.com. Higdon Outdoors has been helping waterfowl hunters make the most of their time in the field for over 25 years. We are a family-owned company and we're proud to serve duck and goose hunters just like you. We make high-quality, innovative decoys and hunting products that you can afford, helping you focus on what's really important. Check us out at HigdonOutdoors.com. Innovation. Quality. Customer service. That's Higdon Outdoors. Get real. Get Higdon. IC Tech now has tumblers and apparel. Check out ictech.com or visit the Hardware House in Huntingdon, Bennett's Hardware of McKenzie, or Rev Power Sports in Jackson to find all your IC Tech coolers and accessories. IC Tech, the classic roto molded cooler that started an entire industry. 100% veteran owned and operated. IC Tech USA. 100.9 The Farm. We are back to the lodge. Again, this is the 19th anniversary. Man. Yeah, that song got me. Yeah. It brings I know, and it brings a lot of people back to that day. Um Yeah. I mean, and then now me with a daughter, you know, that song sort of hit a little different. Yeah. 
Well, we've got Tim's going to call up here in about what three minutes. Yeah. So, well, Nick, you're the youngest. Mm-hmm. So let's ask you. Okay. Where were you? Nine eleven. I was sitting in class, first grade, and I remember uh, our teacher was, uh, I guess, doing her thing, teaching us. And then all of a sudden, uh, come on the intercom of the school that the plane hit the tower. And uh, we all kind of got in the floor, you know, sitting in the floor. And she turned on the TV with the news, and we were watching it happen, just rerunning over and over and over. And uh, it was bad. Yeah. You're the youngest of the three of us, so it's always interesting to hear perspectives of the younger folks, you know, and what they went through back then. I was... I was in my twenties then, Matt. You were, um, you were in your thirteen, teen? so you were in your early teens. <clears throat> so yeah, I mean, time just flies. And next year, obviously, being the twentieth anniversary, and this year, they've canceled a lot of the ceremonies uh, due to COVID. Mm-hmm. So you know, we want to do our part, make sure we put together the best program that we can put together. Um, and we were just saying, you know, we're really blessed that to do all this on FM radio. If you're listening live, you get the full Monty. I mean, you hear the whole production. Whereas in podcast, you're just not going to get the full effect. Right. So, yeah. If you're sitting at home, you no, know, listening or driving your car, check us out on backtolodge.com. Let people know on Facebook, Back to the Lodge. <clears throat> I mean, you can't really share Instagram, but <laughs> well, with Facebook, you can, you know, share the post. We've got the, the, uh, we call them teasers up. Yeah. You know, let people know to tune in. You're not going to want to miss this. Tim Brown's going to be calling up. And uh, when he does, you're going to want to strap in. You you know, have the tissues ready. You're not going to want to move. Um, I can't stress this enough. This is the biggest episode we've ever done. And uh, you're just minutes away. Yeah. So stick around. Stay tuned. You're listening to Back to the Lodge on 100.9 The Farm. Hey, let's just be honest. No one can ever completely beat a mature whitetail census. But if you play your cards right, you can fool them. Now, for all the work you put into getting this close, make sure the camo you choose is up to the task. Mossy Oak, made for moments like this. This country was born to believe in something larger than itself. A belief that the citizens within it could accomplish anything. From defeating an empire to sending a man to the moon, we built cities, formed the land, and through this an original spirit was born. It has forged friendships, been celebrated, and at times been the cause of debate. We might not always agree, but there is one thing we can all agree on. Love of country and love of a fine bourbon. America bourbon. Vet owned and made proudly in the USA. Available nationwide at most leading retailers and at americabourbon.com. I just want you to know I absolutely love you. I want you to do good. Go have a good time. Uh, thanks to my parents and everybody. And I just totally love you. And uh, I'll see you later. I want to tell you I love you. Please tell my children that I love them very much. And I'm so sorry they... I 
Oh my God. Oh my God. Oh my God. because you got to help each other get off the floor. I'm now. Good evening. We are back to the lodge. You're listening to 100.9 The Farm. With us on the phone tonight, my good friend, brother, and hero to the United States, Mr. Tim Brown. Tim, how are you this evening? Hello, Brother Patrick. How are you? I'm doing excellent. My hat off to you on this you know, memorial weekend of the 19th anniversary of 9-11. I could not think of a better human being uh, to be in contact with tonight for this episode than yourself. Uh, and I hate to ask you, Tim, and I know you've been asked many times ago, but can you tell us what happened for you on 9-11? Yeah, sure. Um, You know, we are uh, this week um, remembering all those uh, murdered on September 11th, including over 100 of my friends. Uh, And um, I I do this. It's it's, it's difficult for me to talk about, emotionally difficult. uh, But it's important that people know and that we don't forget. Absolutely. The most most important part of, of what I say is, is talking about the, the heroes of the day, who were my many of them my friends, and many of them I saw in the building before they went up the stairwell. So that that's what I I want everyone to never forget uh, what they did. Uh, I also want people to remember what they, uh, it, it, who did it to us and why they did it. Because if we forget that, then it'll happen again. Yep. Uh, so. I was a New York City fireman from 1984 uh, through September 11, 2001. So I was a Bronx fireman uh, most of that. In 1998, I was convinced by someone I think you might know, Mayor Giuliani, who was my good <laughs> friend, uh, to uh, go and help him out in his new, newly created Mayor's Office of Emergency Management. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I took the fire helmet off and kind of put on a tie, which I didn't really like so much. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, it was important to get this up and running and to help him um, with uh, uh, what I thought was a very good idea. Uh, so I beca- within that group, I became a supervisor. So I was working, uh, I had a 15-person te- team where they were police officers, firefighters, uh, you know, environmental folks. We would have people with different expertises uh, so that we could handle any, just about anything that happened in the city. 
Right. And our job was to respond to the scene of disasters, emergencies, and just coordinate. We weren't really the on-scene commander. That was the police or the fire. But we were the kind of the hammer that supported them and, and made sure everybody did what we needed to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that morning, I went into our office, as I did Monday through Friday, uh, and I went in around a little before 8 o'clock, and uh, I would always go to the cafeteria and, and grab my Cheerios and have a little breakfast, and I would get all the newspapers and read everything that was going on in the city to make sure I was up to date on things. So I was doing that on the morning of September 11th, 7 World Trade Center, um, and all the power went out in the building. Very unusual for a modern high-rise building to have that happen. And so I was like, oh, that's not good. But I didn't hear or see anything. And when the power went out, all the people who were sitting at the glass facing the North Tower at once, like, stood up and started running to the exit, screaming. And so they were running by me, and I actually had to grab one lady by the shoulders and shake her back to reality and say, I said, what happened? And she said a, a plane hit the tower, and that was the first I knew of it. Um, so you, you couldn't even that. hear it from where you were at? That's What's how that? high it was. So high up, you couldn't even hear it. Yeah, and we were inside. You know, I yeah. I guess they 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 probably and I don't know, but they probably did hear it at sitting at the glass. They felt the vibration mm-hmm. through the glass, and and they may have felt some of the heat from the fireball. Wow! Um, as as the fuel exploded. Uh, so, we had had planes hit high-rise buildings in New York City before. Correct. Um, but, you know, I don't know what everybody else thought, but immediately my thought was that some pilot small, flying a small plane had a heart attack and, mm-hmm. and uh, flew into one of the towers. Sure. Uh, I, I went up to our office on the 23rd floor of 7 World Trade Center uh, to get my radios to ensure that our watch command was moving to a full activation uh, of our EOC. They had about 150, 200 phone calls to make. Uh, I went through our EOC to see the supervisor there, and and he was already powering up our emergency operations center to full full uh, activation. And we were fully expecting those 150, 200 people to come in uh, very quickly to help us manage this major disaster that was unfolding across the street from our building. Uh, I went down to my car on BC Street, which was an undercover Crown Victoria, and I opened up my jacket and tie and my dress shirt, and I put on uh, a mayor's office jacket, my heavy leather boots, and uh, uh, this stupid green helmet they made us wear so everybody knew who we were. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> hmm. And... They, they train us as firefighters to look at three sides of a building before you go into a building yep. that's uh, under, you know, that's under destruction by fire or collapse or whatever. And I, on that morning, I wanted to do that. So I ran up an exterior staircase uh, that put, took me from ground level, street level, to the plaza level, the plaza that was in between the towers. Um, I ran up that staircase, and that staircase later became known as the Survivor Staircase because thousands of people <laughs> ran down that staircase and ran away from the buildings, and they lived. Mm-hmm. But before any of that happened, I ran up that staircase toward the building. Uh, 
I got I got as best a look as I could, um, although the plane hit very high up, so it was very hard for me to see anything. But what I did notice is out across the plaza, it was strewn with debris and fire and smoke. And, um, and if you remember seeing the video of all the paper from the offices that got knocked out of the building that was floating down, that, that's what it looked like. And I, uh, I started to think maybe I was wrong about the little plane theory in my head. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I went into the North Tower, Tower Number One, on that plaza level. And in order to get to the fire command station, uh, I had to go down an escalator one level to the street level inside the building. There were hundreds of office workers using that escalator, and it was like a funnel. And what I, what struck me in that moment was what they were not doing. They were not pushing, screaming, trampling running each other over to get out of the building. In fact, it was calm and order, orderly, and for every person who was obese or uh, injured or pregnant um, or disabled, there were four or five office workers helping that person, not firefighters or police officers, just regular humans. Mm-hmm. And I, I said to myself in that moment, no matter what happens to us today, we're going to be okay. We're going to be okay because that is the true human spirit. We help each other and we love each other. Even though there is evil in the world, most people, when someone else is down, they reach out, reach out and they pick them up. Mm-hmm. And that was happening in, in this very challenging moment. These people were taking care of each other. I, I got into the, the funnel of people and I got on the escalator and, I looked out over the wide open lobby of the North Tower and it was full of hundreds of firefighters who had their protective gear on and they had, you know, the yellow reflective stripes. Mm -hmm. And when you get hundreds of firefighters together like that, I now understood why the cops called us bumblebees because it looks like a hive of bees with their yellow stripes. (laughs) (laughs) And I had this little chuckle, exactly, I had this little chuckle in this terrible moment <laughs> you have to you know? sometimes yeah and I, I got to the bottom of the escalator and right and standing right in front of me was a bumblebee and i looked up at his face and it was my dear friend chris blackwell firefighter from rescue three uh, uh where i used to work and not only did i work with chris but we worked on the same shift so we did uh six or seven years of of stuff that Humans shouldn't survive together, and we did, and we took care of each other, and we loved each other. And uh, I, I watched this man save so many people's lives over the years. He was not just a New York City Bronx Harlem special operations firefighter. When he went home to Connecticut at night, he was a paramedic. So anytime anyone needed help, whether from a building collapse or a fire or a car accident, we always tried to get that person into Chris's hands because we knew he had, they had the best shot at living in his competent, experienced hands. And Chris and I, you know, we were, we were the Bronx guys. We weren't the Manhattan guys that were clean-shaven and buttoned up to tie on. We were the Bronx guys that didn't really shave, didn't really even wash that often. 
and <laughs> and we always had like smoke stains and snot on our faces. <laughs> uh, but if but if you wanted the best firemen in the world coming to save you, these were the guys. Yeah, because of their experience. And uh, Chris and I always had the same. We always greeted each other the same way. I got to the bottom of the escalator. I saw him in front of me. We came to attention about two, a foot or a foot and a half away. He always had the unlit stub of a cigar in his mouth. And he's not shaven, <laughs> and his face is all dirty from night, the fires of the night. We come to attention right in front of each other. He reaches up with his right hand. He takes the unlit stub of the cigar out of his mouth. We both lean in from the waist, and we kiss each other on the lips. And we come back to attention, and he puts the cigar back in his mouth. And we greeted each other that way all the time. And we thought it was the funniest thing in the world. Because <laughs> <laughs> it, it freaked out all the firemen. And, and we got a kick out of it. And we did that in the lobby of the North Tower on the morning of September 11th. And Chris said to me, Timmy, this is really bad. And I said, I know, Chris. Do your best and be careful. I love you. And he said, I love you. And for us, for Chris to say this is really bad to me means something. And he knew that he was in great jeopardy on this morning. After he said that to me, he turned around and he went in the stairwell and he went up. He still went in and he still went up, even after what he told me. I heard someone from across the top of the bumblebees yell my name, Timmy! And I looked across the top of all the firefighters, the bumblebees, and I saw my best friend Terry Hatton towering above them because he was six foot four, and with his helmet and boots, he was six seven, six eight. And he was motioning to me, and I ran through the, the hive, and I found him, and I, he, he had his arms open, he had the Halligan forcible entry tool in his right hand. He had the, the light that the captains carry in his left hand. And he opened his arms up wide, and I jumped in his arms. And he wrapped his arms around me and squeezed me tight to his chest. And he kissed me on my right cheek. And he said in my ear, I love you, brother. I may never see you again. Uh, he was the smart one. He was the captain of the Manhattan Special Operations Rescue Company 1, the most elite of the elite. And he was there because he was that good. They were grooming him to be the chief of the entire New York City Fire Department one day. Terry was so smart, he was four or five steps ahead of everybody else in his mind. He was always thinking ahead. And the dumb Bronx fireman, me, you know, kind of laughed off what he said to me because we had been through so much together in the past. We had crawled through the rubble of the of the Oklahoma City bombing building, the, the Fred uh, Mura building, together. We had been in building collapses in New York. We had been in horrific fires together in New York City, and we came out of them together and okay. And so dumb fireman Tim, me, 
blew off what Terry said, but Terry knew what he was talking about. I love you, brother. I may never see you again. And after that, and after he kissed me on my right cheek, he turned around, he grabbed his, the men of rescue one, and they went in the stairwell and they went up. I know that I know now years later that rescue one made it to the 83rd floor of the North tower. They were able to get an elevator working and they were fighting the fire and saving lives at the bottom edge of the carnage when a localized collapse occurred and they got trapped and Terry was screaming for help on the radio. The worst thing a fireman could ever say or hear Mayday, 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 rescue one is trapped, 83rd floor. Mayday, mayday, mayday. And he kept repeating it because they were pinned and they were in trouble. And they're usually the ones that go get the trapped firemen out. So now what do you do, right? Um, my other best friend, Patty Brown, who was a captain of Ladder 3 and a former rescue superhero fireman, most decorated fireman, murdered on September 11th. Also a hero, United States Marine Corps Sergeant in Vietnam. Uh, Patty was the all-American, American hero. And he heard Terry yelling for help, and he was running up the stairs to go help his friend. And the men of rescue won. Uh, neither one of them made it out. My two best friends, Captain Terry Hatton and Captain Patrick Brown from Ladder 3. So back to the lobby where I was after Terry left me, a fireman came running into the lobby yelling, another plane hit the South Tower, which was the first we knew of it. The leadership of the city, fire department, the mayor's office, the police, EMS, we huddled up in the lobby of the North Tower to decide how to split our forces. They decided that Chief, Assistant Chief Donald Burns from the fire department and myself would go to the South Tower and open up that command post. Chief Burns had 41 years in the New York City Fire Department, 41 years. He was the most respected chief in the New York City Fire Department. <clears throat> if you saw a, an image of, I, like, Irish fire chief in the dictionary, it would be his mug. <laughs> <laughs> with the red, with the red rosy cheeks and the the lines in his face, the lines of knowledge, of experience from standing out in the dead of winter all night long at building fires, yeah. and getting burned and all all those things. And he would talk. He was from the outer borough, so he would talk with a much thicker New York accent, and he only talked out of the right side of his mouth. The left side didn't move. And he, uh, he, he talked really fast. And as we were running from the North Tower to the South Tower together, myself and my friend, Donald Burns, I said, Chief, what do you need me to do? And he, out of the side of his mouth, he said, Kenny, there's not much you and I can do. I've ordered a fifth alarm, another 250, 300 firefighters. They're coming, but they're coming from Staten Island and Brooklyn. It's going to take them a long time to get here. We're on our own. Because the first five alarms are going to the north, to the North Tower, hmm. he said, "We're on our own. Do your best and be careful." And I gave him a little salute. Yes, sir, Chief. With that, a woman came, panic screaming to us, 
yelling there were people trapped in the elevator. Chief Burns gave me the nod. Timmy, go with her. He went to the command post. I followed this woman around to the elevator lobby of the North Tower. Uh, of the South Tower, sorry. South Tower now. We came to this elevator car, and the hoistway doors were open, so you could see into the shaft. But the elevator car with the people in it had not come down all the way. And just at the top of the opening, you could see the people's feet. And they were trapped in the elevator. And you could see the men's hands and jacket and shirt sleeve as they were trying to pull the elevator car down more. So they had enough room to slide out. But they couldn't do it because the emergency brakes were locked on the elevator. And what I found out later was this elevator car with these poor people in it, before I got there, free fell 70 floors. Free fell 70 floors because the cable was snapped by the plane when it crashed into the building. Mm. The emergency brakes and the emergency system on the elevator worked, and it stopped the elevator car from crashing into the concrete pit. So it saved their life, but not lives, but now they were trapped. Mm-hmm. And not only were they screaming because of that, but they were screaming because the elevator pit right below them was full of jet fuel that was on fire, and they were above it getting burned from that jet fuel fire. Mm-hmm. Now, this is what's happening in front of me. These people are suffering tremendously. And here's big hero fireman, Bronx fireman, Tim Brown, completely useless because I wasn't really a fireman anymore. I was a mayor's office guy. If I was a fireman, I would have had all kinds of gear and protective gear and tools and things like that. So in, I just tried to think whatever I could do to help them. And I said, I've always thought when you put a fire out, everybody's problems go away. So I said, let's put the fire out. So I yelled to people to start bringing me fire extinguishers. And we tried to put the fire out, but it was a jet fuel fire and it was not going out. Right. In my frustration, and this is all happening in seconds. In my frustration, I turned to just to see if I could see something or someone to help. And when I turned to my right, I hit a person and I looked over and it was a bumblebee. And I looked up this face. And it was my friend, Mike Lynch, who I'd worked with for a year in Times Square. And Mike put his hand on my shoulder. And he said, Timmy, I got it. Three words. I got it. But between two firemen that that know each other and know what each other's capable of, those words meant a lot more. Mm -hmm. It meant he had the training, the experience, the tools and equipment because he brought a whole fire truck full of tools with him and the intestinal fortitude to save the lives of those people. Timmy, I got it. Powerful words. I later went to his widow, Denise, because I I went out to their house in Long Island when Mike was missing in the rubble because I wanted her to, they had, they had little babies at home and I wanted her and her little 
kids to hear from me that their father died an American hero. And don't listen to what anybody else says because I was with him. And I know exactly what he was doing. And I know exactly where he was. And I told Denise the story of, of, of Mike putting his hand on my shoulder saying to me, I got it. And then subsequently the story of Mike getting the jaws of life off his truck to use the spreading tool to move that elevator down. And I said, Denise, when he put his hand on my shoulder and said, Timmy, I got it, he may as well have had angel's wings coming out of his back because he was the angel sent to save the lives of those people. We know that Mike saved at least two women, we think three, before the whole thing came down. And they found Mike's body exactly where I said it would be, at the elevator with the spreaders, the jaws of life, uh, and the people who did not get out of the elevator. Two women positively identified Mike as the person who saved them. Over my radio, uh, I'm, I'm leaving Mike now, over, because over my radio we get confirmed by the FBI, urgent, 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 confirmed by the FBI, third plane coming, it's ours, impact imminent, take cover in the stairwells. I said, Mike, I got to go, you've got this. I went to the command post, I picked up a landline that worked, I found a landline that worked, and I dialed zero for operator and I asked, she picked up right away, and I told her I'm with Mayor Giuliani in the World Trade Center, I, I need to talk to the White House immediately. And she tried to get through, and she couldn't. I said, then I need to talk to the Pentagon immediately. And she said, the Pentagon's under attack also. And that's the first we knew of it. Our situational awareness was not very good. Uh, I wound up talking with the New York State Emergency Management, and they assured me that the fighter jets, jets had already been scrambled to come protect us overhead from any more planes and impact so that we could try and save people. The lobby was filling up with people who were badly injured. Imagine you're burned, bloody, broken, and you have to come 70, 80 stories down a, a dark, smoky, wet stairwell, not knowing if you're going to make it out. And you're coming down around and around and around and around in a dark, smoky, wet stairwell. And you get to the lobby, the door to the lobby, and the door opens up. And all of a sudden, there's this light and brightness and a lobby full of firemen and policemen and the, who are going up. And you, what do you do? You think you're safe, right? I made it, thank God, and you collapsed on the floor. This was happening by the dozens and dozens and maybe hundreds of people. Mm -hmm. And so the lobby was getting very congested and very crowded with injured people we needed to get out of there so the chief told me chief burns told me timmy go get the paramedics in here and start getting these people out of here because they're in they're impeding the the evacuation of others sure that's why i left the south tower i went out i went out the south side of the south tower on liberty street and immediately right on liberty right in front of me the first thing I saw out there was a dead fireman in the street. Firefighter Danny Sir from Brooklyn, who was just with his company, with his guys, 
running across the street to get into the building to go up. And he was crushed by a woman who had jumped or fallen out of the upper floors of the building. And he was dead in the street. His buddies were in shock and trying to pull him out of the street. That's one of those things and images that never, ever leaves you. I ran by them, and I made it over to West Street under the South Pedestrian Walkway, where I found the paramedics from Special Operations, my friend Charlie Wells, Captain Charlie Wells. And I said, Charlie, we need to take you guys inside. And he said, we're all set up to triage out here, which would be the normal thing. But because all the firemen and policemen were going up, we had to move everybody. We had to move the whole operation forward. So I said, Charlie, we need you guys to come inside. He said, give me a second. They got their helmets on. They got the stretcher. They got all the medical equipment. And myself and three paramedics ran back with the stretcher to go back into the South Tower to start helping those people. We were about 20 feet from the door of the South Tower on the sidewalk when the building collapsed. It started with a very loud crack of a steel beam snapping. And it was so loud that it reverberated through the canyons of lower Manhattan. It echoed. And there was no question at all what was happening. Everybody knew it that was outside. We are trained as firefighters. You can never outrun a collapse. So the steel snaps, and then the building starts coming down from up high, and it's progressive collapse. So it's like boom, 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 and it gets louder and louder as each floor can't hold the weight of what's happening. I yelled to the paramedics, follow me into the adjoining building and maybe the adjoining building will protect us. We ran into the three world trade center, which was the Marriott hotel. And the part of it we ran into was a restaurant called the tall ships restaurant. We ran in the door of the tall ships restaurant into the lobby of the hotel lobby area or lobby floor. It was as or ever anyone is right now as clear as a bell inside and with snappier fingers it went pitch black tower two the south tower was collapsing onto the marriott hotel and the marriott hotel was collapsing around us i immediately hit the floor the wind had picked up monstrously you couldn't hear anything it was so loud I compare it to sitting on the tarmac at JFK Airport, surrounded by 747s, full blast. Because I don't know how else to describe it. Mm -hmm. And you couldn't see. It was pitch black, and you couldn't breathe because the dust was so thick. And I knew if I had any chance at living that I have to find a vertical column. In our experience in collapses, we knew that oftentimes people who survived the building collapse were next to a vertical column, the strongest part of the building. Hmm. And so I started crawling as fast as I could, searching, and I found, I, I found, I, I, I don't think I found anything. I was led to 
a big vertical column steel beam. And I wrapped my arms around it as tight as I could, and I tried to get as close as I could. I put my face on it, on the side of my face, and I just tried to squeeze as hard as I could to not move. The wind was so intense that it was, it lifted my legs and my body up and it tried to blow me out into the street as all the air was being pushed out of the collapsing building. They later made, did a scientific study to try and figure out why the group of people where I was survived. And it was scientifically proven that the wind that I experienced was 185 miles an hour. That's the wind that was trying to blow me out of the building. And somehow, with his strength, and I, that's the capital H, mm-hmm. I was able to hold on. And I just thought, as I waited to be crushed, I just thought unfa- how unfair it was that I couldn't hold my family one more time. And I just waited for it to happen. And just as fast as it started, it stopped. The wind stopped. The noise stopped. You still couldn't breathe. I was trying to stick my face and my nose into my shirt to try and filter it. And I was scared out of my mind. And all I wanted to do was get out of there. I was never physically pinned. I was trapped in the building, but I was never physically pinned. So I was able to go back toward Liberty Street crawling because you couldn't see anything. And I came across a a truck that had a diesel motor that was running, and all I could think of in my crazy panicking head was that it was a truck bomb and that the bomb didn't go off yet. And so I turned around and went back the other way, and I was yelling to people, follow me, follow me, there's a bomb, there's a bomb, follow me. And... I made it to a roll, a metal roll-down gate that was down, and I was very determined to keep going that way. So I put my fingers under the metal roll-down gate, and I lifted it up about two inches until I could get my hands all the way under it. And when I lifted it up about that two inches, all these fingers on the other side of people who were trapped on the other side of the roll-down gate. Mm. It turns out that gate was what separated the restaurant from the lobby of the hotel. And when the restaurant was closed, they would put the gate down. So in the collapse, that gate crashed down and we lifted it up. And all these people who were trapped on the other side, a group of firefighters and civilians, uh, they were trapped behind that metal gate. And I said to them, we have to keep going that way. There's a bomb. And they said, you can't go that way. It's gone. Right behind them, they were stuck on a ledge that was about four or five feet wide. Half the firefighters and civilians they were with two seconds ago were crushed by the collapse that came through right behind them. So they lost half the people they were with. And right behind them was a seven-story drop all the way down into the last basement at the base of the parking garage of the South Tower of Marriott. And so we couldn't go that way. So we turned around and we went back into the tall ship's restaurant again. And now the, the dust and smoke was starting to lift a little bit. And 
you, we, we could see a fireman coming across the rubble from the outside with a very bright flashlight, and he was waving his light at us, and he could see us trapped inside, and he was screaming at us to follow him, come this way, come this way, follow me. And so we formed the chain, and we went across the, the rubble and the steel and everything else, and we were able to get out of that place. Um, I, there's a lot more there, but that was that's really the main part of my survival. Uh, the three paramedics I was with all survived miraculously. Um, the firefighters I spoke of, none of them survived. Uh, firefighter Chris Blackwell, Captain Terry Hatton, Captain Patty Brown, Firefighter Mike Lynch, Assistant Chief Donald Burns, and I could keep going on and on and on. Our, our Special Operations Command of the New York City Fire Department, five rescue companies and seven squad companies, our entire Special Operations contingent responded to the World Trade Center with the exception of one squad and 100% of them were killed, um, including Chief Ray Downey, who was the Chief of Special Operations and the founder of America's uh, FEMA Urban Search and Rescue Task Forces. That was what he created as uh, Special Operations Chief. The last uh, we saw him, he was in between the collapses, he was rescuing people out of the rubble on West Street. And there was a woman came out over the rubble a couple stories up, and he ran over to get her down off, you know, from the two stories up she was. And he was reaching up to, to grab her hand when the North Tower collapsed and killed them both. Um, that was Chief Ray Downey. Uh, just some numbers, and then we can maybe do some questions. But the, on, on the day of September 11th, radical Islamic terrorists murdered 2,977 innocent human beings. Um, out of that 2,977 number, to this day, we have not identified uh, one-third or one-third were never found. One-third of the families never got anything back. It's like they just disappeared and never came back again. Um, and in fact, I think it's, I'm getting my numbers mixed up. It might be bigger than one-third, but it's a huge <clears throat> number. It's one too many. Um, what's that? One too many. Yeah. <clears throat> um, out, out of that group, 721 were first responders who ran toward the danger and ran up the stairwells, knowing that they likely would not come back alive, and they still did it. They still did it. 343 New York City firefighters, 37 Port Authority police officers, 23 NYPD officers. Out of the NYPD number 23, 14 of them were their special operations elite cops, rescue cops, they call them. 
out of the fire department's 343, about 100 were from our special operations, the best firefighters and, and most experienced firefighters in the world, probably. Um, the Port Authority Police Department lost 37. They were, uh, um, it's the largest loss of life for law enforcement in American history in one event. And they are, the Port Authority Police is a small job. So percentage-wise, they lost more of their job than the fire department did. Mm -hmm. They took a huge, huge hit. Um, all those men and women, American heroes, in fact, they're heroes of humanity because they demonstrated what the Bible calls the greatest gift of all, was to give, that, that is to give, that you love your fellow humans so much that you would give your own mm -hmm. life for them. And that's what they did. Human heroes. Tim, on behalf of everyone in America, you know, our hearts are with you and we thank you for everything you've done. We're going to take a quick break. And uh, when we come back, we're going to talk a little bit about more uh, what Tim likes to do. Stick around. You're listening to Back to the Lodge at 100.9 The Farm. Get up! Woo! Look at there! This moment was brought to you by Higdon Outdoors, a leader in the waterfowl industry for over 25 years. Check us out at HigdonOutdoors.com. Higdon Outdoors has been helping waterfowl hunters make the most of their time in the field for over 25 years. We are a family-owned company and we're proud to serve duck and goose hunters just like you. We make high-quality, innovative decoys and hunting products that you can afford, helping you focus on what's really important. Check us out at HigdonOutdoors.com. Innovation. Quality. Customer service. That's Higdon Outdoors. Get real. Get Higdon. Usually right about now, we'd be playing some music, but due to restrictions and copyrights, we can't allow music to play. So if you'd like to hear music in between breaks, tune in every Wednesday evening from 6 to 9 p.m. Central and hear us live at backtothelodge.com. Click the Listen Now button and you'll be back to the lodge. IC Tech now has tumblers and apparel. Check out ictech.com or visit the hardware house in Huntingdon, Bennett's Hardware of McKenzie, or Rev Power Sports in Jackson to find all your IC Tech coolers and accessories. IC Tech, the classic roto molded cooler that started an entire industry. 100% veteran owned and operated. IC Tech USA. We are back to the lodge on 100.9 The Farm. With us this evening, the legendary Tim Brown. Tim, you know, such a heart-wrenching, touching, and emotional story. Um, and, and, you know, the show is definitely about resiliency. And, you know, you're another outstanding person who's been to the shadows of hell and, and seen the worst of what this world can offer. What we always like to point out in the show is how the outdoors has such a therapeutic effect in finding peace when you're trying to slow things down, get a little quieter, and, and hit that reset button. What has that been for Tim? What does that look like? Yeah, out, outdoor recreation uh, exercise uh, are, are magical for clearing 
your pain away. Um, I'll, I'll tell you what one one of the things that helped me heal was doing outdoor uh, recreation, bicycling specifically, with wounded warriors and injured vets, and being able to uh, help them and ride long distances together and push them up a hill when they didn't have the energy to do it and, and, and grow those bonds. I did that with a group called Ride to Recovery uh, back years ago, and the combination of the 70, 80 mile a day rides with your comrades, with people who are also willing to put their lives on the line for American freedom uh, and, and, and gave of themselves, gave of themselves physically. Uh, all those things combined makes you feel so accomplished and, and, and so like you had a, a productive day and you were able to help someone out um, who needed your help. I, I can't, I can't say what that has done to help me heal uh, mentally and emotionally while you're out there breathing the fresh air most of the time mm-hmm. and, and uh, meeting like people. Uh, I, sp- I still have the bike they gave me. I'm, I'm still out on the bike. I try and go every day here awesome. in New York. Uh, just, just even if I go for ten miles and just stretch my legs and and uh, try and clear my head a little bit. If if it's only just, ten miles, you say. <laughs> just to yeah, stretch his legs. <laughs> so in in the morning, I'm, I plan on getting out on the bike. I'm looking forward to that before I fly to Washington, mm-hmm. uh, where we're doing some some nine eleven stuff at the Pentagon. Um, so. You know, really, the bicycling thing, walking, even if even if you go out, like, in New York City, it's a little harder, but, you know, even if you go out on the ferries, get out on the water and just get out and breathe the fresh air and go somewhere different. Get out of, you know, get out of the environment you're in uh, all day long, whether that's home or work. Just get out there and breathe the air and stretch and, and uh, take in how fortunate we are here in America. Yeah, we have we have a beautiful beautiful environment when it comes to nature and in our atmosphere. And what I mean by that is it's pure. It, it's it's continuously moving and changing, whereas other parts of the world are very stagnant and dormant for that matter, and not even you know uh, fertile for any greenery. So you know if you have green trees or grass where you're at. Even something like that is taken for granted. Some, something so simple, um, but the therapeutic healing aspect of it, and, and bringing that peace and joy, is a very common thread among first responders and veterans, Gold Star parents, and people who've been through a lot of tragedies. So we want to point out to people, you know, especially with everything going on in today's society. You know, you got COVID, you got the elections. Let's face it, and it doesn't matter which party you're with. Elections are stressful, and uh, yeah. you know, being able to. Just disconnect and hit that pause button, you know, Tim. Tim, you're living proof. You're telling people, look, this this has an immense help with what you do and every day getting up and continuing on. Uh, yeah, no, no question. One other uh, thing that I've been working on, I, I feel very fortunate to be uh, on the board of the National September 11th uh, Trail, and what that is, uh, it's 911trail.org. 
And what that is is a trail that is 1,300 miles long. It, it goes from the Pentagon to Shanksville, Pennsylvania, to the World Trade Center in New York, and then back down to the Pentagon again. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah, this, this is a walking, biking, hiking trail uh, it, it, that's, uh, you know, it incorporates many other trails, but what we're doing is we're using it to raise awareness of 9-11 and the, the heroes of 9-11 and the families of 9-11. And uh, we just broke ground. We made the first uh, uh, physical build uh, up in Shanksville, Pennsylvania, uh, um, just the other day. Um, and so we're well on our way to having it uh, complete. Um, and next year, the the other charity that I'm very close with, the Stephen Siller Tunnel to Towers Foundation, the founder, Frank Siller, whose brother Stephen was a fireman murdered on September 11th, Frank is going to walk the trail uh, mm -hmm. uh, leading up to September 11th. So I'm going to walk uh, some of that with him. We I might we're still trying to get his uh, butt on a bicycle. We'll see if that actually happens. <laughs> Uh, but you know, we are going to walk the trail or bike the trail. Um, I'll, I will tell you right now, uh, for support and, and just fanboys to follow you, you can count us in. Absolutely. Thank you. We will be there to support yeah. you, Tim. Um, so you're Thank saying you. this should be up and going next year, huh? The, the trail? Yeah. Yep. The, the trail should be, uh, well, I mean, it's kind of up and going now because we were using, uh, other trails that have already been developed can join as part them, of yeah. the 9-11 trail. Uh, but, you know, we will have that section up in Somerset uh, in, in, to Shanksville uh, yeah. pretty pretty much complete. We have we have the money for it, and uh, they, they're starting to work on that. Uh, tomorrow, they're starting work on that. Wow. Uh, so, um, it, you know, if you're, if you're in any of those areas, if you want a desti destination, uh, to uh, a trail to hike or to bicycle, uh, 911trail.org. They've got the maps on there and everything, and, and uh, you can take a look at it. They can uh, reach out to us through the website, uh, and, and we'll help them out. So, so you're going you're um, to bike this or you're going to walk it, Tim? Well, I, I, I'm going to do whatever Frank does next year. Well, uh, yeah, I think we do need to help talk Frank into doing the bike. <laughs> we will do whatever you do and we support you but i can tell you between you and then we had rob rob o'neill's dad on the other day uh oh, about a month yeah. ago and he's sitting there telling yeah. us he just ran a, a super marathon yeah. at 70 some years old i'm like you guys are showing <laughs> us up here guys come on that's so, awesome slow down tim yeah, I, I, I hope i hope to bike the whole thing the whole thing one day i'm just not there yet but one day I hope to bike it. Well, I'd, I'd rather bike it with you than walk the whole thing. So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but no, that's that's absolutely amazing. So, but now you've got uh, a book coming out. Yeah, I'm. I'm. I, I didn't write it, but I I am uh, talking about it uh, because I'm very close with the author. His name is Dr. Michael Everett Brown. His book is What Brothers Do. So it's whatbrothersdo.com. Uh, you can get it on uh, Amazon, whatbrothersdo.com also. Uh, and the, the book was released about 10 years ago. But we updated it because a lot has happened, and um, we re-released it with some new, a, a new forward. Um, unfortunately, Mike's wife uh, uh, passed from... Uh, Janet passed from breast cancer, 
And so Mike talks about that, and, and uh, very sadly, um, I am the spokesman because Mike cannot be the spokesman because he is very, very sick with 9-11 cancer. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, the, the, story, the, the, the story of the book, Mike Brown, not, now I'm not blood-related, although we are very close friends. Sure. We have the same last name. Mike Brown's brother... Captain Patrick Brown, who I spoke of before, who I saw in the lobby of the North Tower, was one of my best friends. Not only that, but Patrick was a legend in the New York City Fire Department. Patrick was the highest decorated fireman murdered on September 11th. He had so many medals. He He had been awarded so many medals for saving people's lives that he didn't want to wear them on his uniform because he didn't want to embarrass the other guys. And so he would leave the ribbons home in his dresser drawer, and he would only wear the ones that were the most important to him. That's how humble this guy was. Patrick, in his younger years, was the United States Marine Sergeant in Vietnam. He went through struggles like a lot of them did when he came back from Vietnam and they were not welcome back here in America. Um, but when Patrick finally got the job of his dreams, the New York City Fire Department, it changed his life. And sure. he uh, was AA. He, he stayed away from the alcohol and any, anything else mm-hmm. that, because he loved this job so much. Um, and he became one of the highest decorated firemen in the history of the New York City Fire Department. Um, he was a legend there, and, and Patrick and I and Terry spent many, many nights having dinner together and talking about the fire department. That's what we did. So on the morning of September, I, I had never met Mike Brown before, uh, but oh, Mike okay. Brown was, a, before he became a doctor, he was a New York City fireman for four years in the late 70s, early 80s. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when... Mike was a doctor out in Las Vegas. He was an ER doc at the military bases out there. And um, he heard about what happened in New York, and he couldn't get a hold of his brother. So he jumped in his car, and he drove across America because the planes weren't working, and he drove around the Amer- across America to come find his brother Patrick in the rubble. And... As he was searching for his brother in the rubble and learning uh, about, he, he was finding out about his brother's life and who his brother was. So the book talks about not just searching through the rubble, but also Mike learning about who his brother was um, these years later after Michael had left New York. And it is brutally honest. It is heart-wrenching. It is um, uh, 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 funny, uh, and you it's one of those books you can't put down. Mm-hmm. Um, so we relaunched the book as a benefit to the Stephen Siller Tunnel to Towers Foundation. In my opinion, one of the greatest charities I've ever been a part of. Maybe the greatest charity. Uh, and I've been involved with a lot, but... Uh, the Stephen Siller Tunnel to Towers Foundation 
is named after firefighter Stephen Siller, who's who was a firefighter, New York City firefighter, who ran through the Brooklyn Battery Tunnel with his gear under his arm uh, to emerge on the Manhattan side to go help people when the building collapsed and killed him. So it started out, his siblings started this foundation, and we started retracing his steps through the Brooklyn Battery Tunnel, and we did a 5K through the tunnel every year. That was back in 2002 when they started that. Today, they have well over 30,000 people who do that every year. And so the money that, that the foundation gets from all these different fundraisers goes to build homes for catastrophically injured military, uh, smart homes, mm-hmm. anywhere in the country, or pay off the mortgage of a police officer or firefighter's family uh, who, you know, police officer or firefighter who was killed in the line of duty to pay off the mortgage for their family so their family doesn't have to worry about that ever again. Um, They try to do that with families of police officers and firefighters who have young children. Uh, It is the great, they, they do the greatest work. They take care of it. They fulfill our promise that if you give your life for us, for our freedom, for our security and our safety, we you don't worry because we've got your back. We're going to take care of your family. That's what the Stephen Siller Tunnel to Towers Foundation does. And so we are happy and honored and proud to be a partner with them and all the proceeds from the sale of what brothers do go to support the Stephen Siller Tunnel Towers Foundation. Uh, so that's whatbrothersdo.com. Uh, uh, and read the book. It's worth picking up. It, it's so well written. You won't be able to put it down uh, until you finish the book. It's, it's that good. All right. Well, there you go. Check out their link at whatbrothersdo.com. We'll go ahead and post that link on our social media as well, so you can check it out on there and on the website. But, Tim, as we get ready to wrap this up, and, and I don't want to wrap this up, but <laughs> I know you're a busy man. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to leave you with a parting question here, and if you've listened to the show, you know it's our signature question here. But if you can go back and find your 16, 18-year-old self and relate to everything going on and folks sitting at home thinking about what they want to do with their lives, what's the most important advice you could give yourself, your younger self, or someone sitting at home listening right now? I would tell my younger self that I would not change my life at all, even with the pain and the suffering uh, that I've been through. Um, I was lucky enough to grow up in America in freedom. I was lucky enough to get the greatest job in the world, New York City firefighter. Even with what happened to us, we overcame the evil. I would say, do with your life what is most meaningful to you. Volunteer for your country, whether that means joining the military or some other organization that that helps. Freedom is not free. We need to ensure 
that, that that flame continues to burn for our young people. And we have to teach them. That's why I go, that's why I tell my story as much as I can. It's hard and painful to tell the story, but it's so important that our young people understand what happened, who did it to us, why they did it, and, and, and the story of the heroes. I, I'm, I, I am a grateful American, as Gary Sinise says. I, I feel so blessed to be in this country. And um, we all need to pitch in to make, keep this country great and, and keep it in freedom. A very healthy perspective. Tim, it's been a true honor. Um, we're so grateful to have you on our show. And if there's anything we can ever do for you, we, we hope you reach back out to us. Thank you, brother. We will do the trail together one day. We look forward to it. Until <laughs> thanks for thanks for the cooler. Oh, that's our pleasure. Welcome to Team Icy Tech, my friend. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna actually take it with me down uh, on uh, September 11th. I, I got a hospitality room down at Ground Zero, and I'm gonna stuff that thing full of uh, drinks for the 9/11 families and the firefighters and the Stephen Siller Foundation guys, so they can come to my hospitality room and chill out. So Icy Tech will be front and center, sitting in the room in in the hotel. Well, and I'll tell you what, I didn't know you were going to do that. <laughs> no. If you need yeah. more, just let me know. We will get them there immediately. Yeah, I, 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 I need a big one, but then I don't have a, a place to really store it, so I don't know. Maybe there's somebody. Maybe somebody there you could donate it to. No, that's probably true. Let, let, let's talk after the show, and I, I, I will help you out there. How about that? All right. That, that's awesome. I didn't expect that, but thank you. Oh, our pleasure. Until we get Tim next time, uh, we'll be coming back uh, from a break here, and uh, hopefully we'll uh, – big shoes to follow after that one. So we'll be right back. You're listening to Back to Lodge on 100.9 The Farm. This country was born to believe in something larger than itself – a belief that the citizens within it could accomplish anything. From defeating an empire to sending a man to the moon, we built cities, formed the land, and through this an original spirit was born that has forged friendships, been celebrated, and at times been the cause of debate. We might not always agree, but there is one thing we can all agree on, love of country and love of a fine bourbon. America bourbon. Vet owned and made proudly in the USA. Available nationwide at most leading retailers and at americabourbon.com. When you purchase an Icy Tech cooler, not only are you getting the best and original Roto Mold cooler for your barbecue, your kid's graduation party, or maybe even the boat, but your proceeds from that purchase go on to help Gold Star families receive grief counseling retreats so they can heal and get a little piece of their heart back. So they can have the same quality of life that we share. Icy Tech, USA. 100.9 The Farm, we are back to the lodge. Man, to have Tim Collin here. I mean, this was the first time you guys have got to talk with Tim, wasn't it? Yeah, it is. Yeah. Yep. So, For sure. I mean, that, <laughs> it doesn't get more first-hand account then from the mezzanine of tower two world trade center uh what a story 
I mean, yeah, you go. You, I mean, he could have lost his life at any single given point. And you know, we you talk about darkness and recovery, and you know, guys are coming home, and you know, the the struggles everybody goes through. But I can't even fathom, you know, what Tim's been through in his life. Yeah. Uh, even after that account of that day, and not only that, but having the courage to go back and tell that story, yeah. year after year, and month after month, and and you know, he does talk for organizations, and he's done TEDx. And, um, you know, I know when I speak and we go back and talk about some painful things, you get through it and it, it just kind of becomes a numb process. But, you know, for Tim, it's, it's just they're apples and oranges. I mean, he's recanting just hell for hours and hours and hours, if not days, because it went on for recovery after that. And even to know he was, you know, beyond that, he was still part of the team that responded to the uh, the federal bomb, federal building bombing of Oklahoma City years prior mm-hmm. so i mean it, it's just another situation that he's been through yeah and i think a, a big a big takeaway that i took from all of it is you know we're looking at 19 years ago that this was and you can hear it in his voice the inflections when he tells those stories you can tell he's right there again and you know the the <clears throat> mindset that i'm sure that he is in all the time coming through this but then you know, we talk about this so often on the show, but I'm going to hit it again. The resiliency, resiliency that he showed after that to continue to push through this to show the good afterwards is, yeah. you know, a takeaway that we always try to point out in this show. And, I mean, he, he lives that. Yeah, certainly does. And, you know, to have him up here, man, this was just, this was a blessing. Like, I, I, I'm kind of bittersweet that the interview is over because <laughs> it's like, I could have just had him on the phone the rest of the night and yeah. sat and chat and talked. I mean, just super, super great dude. Um, but kind of want to talk about some things that are coming in the future uh, for Back to the Lodge and what that looks like. Okay. If you haven't already heard, uh, as of Monday or Friday? I think th- some were posted last Friday, a bunch of them this Monday. Um, irregardless. Yeah, they are, they're over the now. weekend. Yeah, um, you can find us now uh, and, and catch up on the episodes through iTunes, Spotify, um, Apple Podcasts, Apple Podcast, Google, Google Podcasts. Pod- I mean, yeah, if, there's a, if there's a way to find podcasts, you can find us there. Yeah, and and huge huge thank you to Knucklehead Media for handling that. Uh, Justin Sherlitic out in California with with his group. Which which made all this possible. Um, so yeah, we, if you want to catch up and hear a lot of these great interviews, it's available everywhere. Everywhere, <laughs> I can literally yeah. say, hey, you can find us everywhere on yeah. all major platforms. Um, and and what that means for us is we got really good feedback last week um, because we actually did video. Mm-hmm. Uh, we did it live through Facebook. Um, we're gonna tinker around with, I guess, Instagram. Yep. As we learn some traits, but what we're going to end up doing is eventually um, this will be, I don't want to say podcast only, but uncensored video uh, show in the yeah. not so distant future. So yeah, yeah. stay tuned. We're going to be making a lot more improvements and it'll give you some time to catch up um, because this is probably going to start, let's call it October. Yeah. Probably yeah. in October. We're going to have yeah. this transition done. So. You're going to want to stick around. <laughs> I, I can say this. Radio allows so much. But we have two, two major things that I would like to overcome. One is the FCC. <laughs> so <laughs> they, they are there for a very good reason. 
But let's face it, with internet and everything nowadays, it's really kind of pointless. Well, let's be clear. We're not saying that because, yeah, we don't have the greatest of filters on our mouth. So this this is difficult on the radio. But that's not the point. The point is a lot of these interviews and these mm-hmm. stories are so censored from what these people, from the feelings that come out sometimes when, when a word slips. Well, and, and we have to schedule them to meet time requirements, right? Because you've got their requirements for identification and all that kind of stuff. Right, right. Um, you know, certain news has to happen at certain times. Right. I get all that. But that's not why people are tuning in. So, you know, eventually we, we want to grow it into that market. I think we've right. done a tremendous yep. job. We went from three followers to 600 followers to oh, how many impressions today? Yeah, 15,000, something like that. That was know. on one post. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, too many. <laughs> too, too it many. was well over 100,000 just today. I mean, the page in a very short period is about to be the notifications that are about to be turned off on my phone. Yeah, you, this, you didn't wear your Apple Watch. I didn't today. wear my watch today. Yeah, it doesn't stop buzzing. <laughs> well, especially during the show when when people are texting me and you know I took it off today because I just wanted to be in the right mindset for the show. Um, yeah, it's just you know things are blowing up and that's great. I mean it's it's great that that's happening. We feel that it's for a good reason. We feel these stories that these people are putting out there. We're helping these stories be told. Um, but that transition that you keep talking about is well, that, that's almost inevitable. One, right, but that's only one part. Yeah. The second part, why we, we need to make the transition, is because they're missing how much clowning we do. Right. On, <laughs> on the not-so-serious episodes. Yep. Um, I mean, dude, the day you sprayed yourself with contact cleaner, <laughs> were, was that episode one or two? Uh, I think it might have been one. I mean, it that, was, yeah, it was one or two. It was that kind of like changed the entire tempo right. of how this was going to go. Yep. And then, you know, just a little bit ago, I, well, we'll save that for another story. Um, <laughs> is that back in the basket? It's back in the basket. <laughs> we'll leave it in the basket. But anyways, yeah, a lot of changes coming up. Um, and also, Matt and I are going to be getting on the road next week. Yeah. So we will be heading down to Rockport, Texas. Way down there. And we're going to be down there doing some, you know... We'll probably do some film. Yeah. Well, maybe yeah. maybe we'll do a live with Nick. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. We'll call him in the morning or something. Sure. <laughs> we'll fill everybody in. Maybe. Let's do it. But we'll be down there um, to to network with some folks. But then we're going to be shooting off to East Texas mm-hmm. on Sunday. Yep. To go meet with BT Outdoors, which was Benny. What two episodes ago? Three. Episode number two. I, it's I don't like, even know why we're guessing anymore. Yeah, <laughs> it's kind of pointless. I don't know. <laughs> and we're going there because we're going to try to go shoot some fish. Something's brewing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we'll hold that for another day. <laughs> but something's brewing. And the fact is, me and Patrick travel. Well, I mean, COVID stopped it a little bit. You're still saying me and Patrick. Oh, okay. Patrick and myself, Patrick and I. There you Sorry, go. Dad. Um, <laughs> so uh, we, we 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 tend to travel a lot for this job. So the Wednesday constraint it hurts us. It does, but it doesn't. We'll be back here for it. We'll make it work. Yeah. So next week should be good if if all schedules work out. Um, next week will be very fishing centric focused. Uh, we're gonna have a lot of good laughs, a lot of good times, um, and t- kind of take it back to the lighter note. But for this week, we're going to stay on track, stay on target. We've got uh, another great guest later on the show, uh, somebody who was very influential in my life, and we'll be talking about that when we come back uh, to the Lodge. You're listening to 100.9 The Farm. Hey, let's just be honest. No one can ever completely beat a mature whitetail census. 
But if you play your cards right, you can fool him. Now for all the work you put in to get him this close, make sure the camo you choose is up to the task. Mossy Oak, made for moments like this. IC Tech now has tumblers and apparel. Check out ictech.com or visit the Hardware House in Huntingdon, Bennett's Hardware of McKenzie, or Rev Power Sports in Jackson to find all your IC Tech coolers and accessories. IC Tech, the classic roto molded cooler that started an entire industry. 100% veteran owned and operated. IC Tech USA. 100.9 The Farm, we are back to the lodge. On the 19th anniversary week of 9-11, right. yeah. being this Friday. So, a lot of things will be going on. I encourage everybody to take a moment to reflect on Friday. And some of you have had the privilege to enjoy that moment with us this evening. Uh, but, you know, we, we want to change tempos a little bit. So, obviously, you know, the show is brought to you by IC Tech USA. We're very proud of what we've accomplished over the years. And especially recently... Um, with what we've been able to do for Gold Star families, uh, disabled veterans, uh, everything from PTS to traumatic brain injuries or TBIs, uh, with the Navy SEALs Fund, the Michael Strange Foundation, Task Force Dagger, Special Operations Excursions. Am I missing anybody? Those are the, I mean, there is the, the list is those longer, are the key four. But those yeah. are the, the I hate to say, and the I know big there's four, a fifth, but and I feel horrible for not, but those are the big four that we have put, I guess, more time and energy towards. Sure, um, sure. But there's been a lot that have. There was the, the canine one um, up in Philly. Oh, yeah. We um, had the canine. Then we also have Huntsman's Creed uh, yeah, I mean, um, there that we want to support. Yeah, they're very long it, list. It, you know, the list goes on and on. But none of this, none of this would have been possible um, if it wasn't for folks like yourselves, the listeners, our audience, our customers, um, and great products. And, of course, the leadership. I hate doing this on the air. But if it wasn't for Matt, I mean, we would not be where we're at. Mm. If it wasn't for Will, if it wasn't for Nick, if it wasn't for the other Will and the other Will and the other Will, we have a lot of Wills. <laughs> yeah, we do. Um, Frank and, you know, everybody that's been a part of this, Alan, and I mean, yeah, I mean, right. It, it's been crazy, but fast forward. So 9-11 happened, um, and we talked about where Nick was. I was a pilot at Embry-Riddle Aeronautical University. In fact... I had just finished my flight instructor course, and I was a uh, applying as a ground instructor at one of the schools there. <coughs> and I was flying that day, um, or scheduled to fly the day. I was flying that day because they ended up grounding the flights shortly after that. Everybody was told to land. I was actually already there in Daytona, but then flights were canceled. So I rushed back home to find out what was going on. And uh, my roommate at the time, Francesco, from Sicily, had told me what happened. It was on the TV in the living room, and we saw what happened. I had no clue. Well, my phone had rang, and my dad was in Cleveland, and a lot of people didn't know this, but there were a lot of flights called in with bomb threats. So all I knew was my dad was stuck at Cleveland Hopkins Airport with a flight that had a bomb, and that's all I knew. I didn't know if he was on the plane, next to the plane, under the plane, because he worked at the airport, but he also traveled all the time. So you know, people, if you were old enough to have a cell phone back then, not everybody had one, and service and signal throughout this country was horrible trying to get a hold of folks. You, you called over and over and over again because you couldn't get through. Uh, so for me, that was a big shock. I was in the aviation industry. That was the day um, if you were becoming a pilot, your career was over, um, and you had to figure out what to do. 
a lot of my friends went into air traffic control. Wasn't for me. Oh, <laughs> probably is now. I would I would kill to have that job. <laughs> but I'm too old now. You actually, they have a cutoff age. I think it's 30 or 35 or something like that's the cutoff. And uh, so a lot of them went that route. Well, I was doing the flight instruction, finishing up at college, when my high school sweetheart passed away in a car accident. So now here we are. Or no, she passed away in July. I'm sorry. That was July of 2001. Then 9-11 happened two months later. So it was like one kick in the left butt cheek, another kick in the right butt cheek. What are you going to do? Well, poor life choices led me back home. <laughs> so, you know, didn't didn't do so hot in school that semester and uh, didn't really know what I was going to do or, or how I was going to pay down bills. I mean, I had uh, Embry-Riddle was not cheap by any means. Even back then in the 90s, it was super expensive uh, in 99 through 2001. So I'm like, okay, man, what the hell am I going to do? So I'd been back home in Ohio working dead-end jobs. And, man, I was working at an airport. I was working at a bowling alley. I was working at two restaurants. I mean, I worked so many jobs trying to survive. And uh, I went for a ride one night with a friend. And I don't know how – I truly don't remember how I got linked up with him. I think it was a guy that worked at the bowling alley introduced me to someone that was a dispatcher for the police department. And he's like, hey, you know, let's do a ride along with this guy, Jim. No idea who Jim was. Jim looks like – you know, first impression kind of looks like uh, Jim Carrey. <laughs> like, this is going to be fun. So he goes, oh, he's a canine unit. You'll have fun. We jumped in the car, and Jim pretty much gave me the the tough love of, like, look, man, I've been in the military. I was a canine officer. Life sucks. <laughs> you know, kind of crap or get off the pot. Quit making excuses for yourself. And honest to God, that was exactly what I needed back in 2003 um, to make that decision to join the military and bring me where I'm at today. So when we come back, we're going to have Jim Larkin, who's also now an IC Tech Regional Sales Manager for the Great Lakes region. So stick around, stay tuned. You're listening to Back to the Lodge on 100.9 The Farm. This country was born to believe in something larger than itself, a belief that the citizens within it could accomplish anything. From defeating an empire to sending a man to the moon, we built cities, formed the land, and through this an original spirit was born. It has forged friendships, been celebrated, and at times been the cause of debate. We might not always agree, but there is one thing we can all agree on. Love of country and love of a fine bourbon. America Bourbon, vet-owned and made proudly in the USA. Available nationwide at most leading retailers and at AmericaBourbon.com. This moment was brought to you by Higdon Outdoors, a leader in the waterfowl industry for over 25 years. Check us out at HigdonOutdoors.com. Higdon Outdoors has been helping waterfowl hunters make the most of their time in the field for over 25 years. We are a family-owned company, and we're proud to serve duck and goose hunters just like you. We make high-quality, innovative decoys and hunting products that you can afford, helping you focus on what's really important. Check us out at HigdonOutdoors.com. Innovation. Quality. Customer service. That's Higdon Outdoors. Get real. Get Higdon. All right, we are back to the lodge. Uh, <laughs> you know, what What a transpiring story uh, that we heard earlier today. And, you know, a lot of things going on this week, that, and a lot of things that aren't going on this week 
because of COVID, and a lot of the ceremonies and memorials are canceled. Uh, but flipping directions, you know, on a different note with public safety and service, uh, Jim Larkin. Jim, you there? I am. Jim is the police officer we were talking about from Ohio um, who's had 27 years. Is that correct? 27 years. 27 years in law enforcement from coming out of the Army to where he's at today and soon transitioning currently into a role with IC Tech, actually. So, Jim, tell us about how you got started into the military and law enforcement and what kind of led you into this field. Yeah, so uh, military, the army saved my life, and I'll never, uh, I'll never be able to repay that. I got out of high school, out of high school, and I was, and I wasn't going anywhere. I probably still would have been dealing with the same department I'm with now, but it would have been in a whole different capacity had I not gotten the army. Um, army saved my life. You know, I got into the army two years in. I got went into K nine, got out, got hired right with my department right out of the army five days later. And I've been a dog handler since 96. So, still, I'm on my third dog with that department. Had a great run. Yeah. Awesome. Well, that that's 27 years summed up in 30 seconds. Uh, what what would you say gravitated you towards this industry? Towards which? Towards law enforcement? Yep. Uh, you know what? It was always. And when I was growing up, you know, playing cops and robbers, I was always a cop, you know. My dad was in law enforcement uh, federally when I was growing up. It's just something I always wanted to do. I hate to be cliche, but, I mean, I got into it to help people, uh, to be there, people having their worst times. I just wanted to, you know, it's kind of nice to be that guy that they look to. So in the 27 um, years of, and I always love to ask people this question, the 27 years of helping people, would you say that helping people helps you with, with things you're overcoming more than it helps them or vice versa? Man, we should have talked to you. You should have given me a heads up on these questions. That's a, that's a, that's a tough one. <laughs> I don't know. I, uh, you know, I think at this point it's probably helping them. I think helping them is probably more than it helps me. I've kind of got thrown a shell over the years. You know what I mean? Sure. Things that used to bother me don't bother me as much as they do. But I'm fortunate I'm compassionate enough that I realize it's bothering them. If that makes sense. That's a, man, that's a tough question. There, I mean, there's certainly times, man, when I help people out and lets me go back. And maybe it's just that you know, their lives are such wrecks that I come home and just appreciate what I got. You can call it a shell, but there, to a degree, you know, one of the attractive qualities about you as a human being is your, your level of humbleness. And a few years ago, there was a story where a young man had been speeding and you stopped him for speeding around Christmas uh, for doing 145. Tell us about that. Come on, killing me here, man. It was, it was, it was nothing, man. It was just it was a kid on the highway, and uh, I mean, he was doing things that all kids do. That was it. Uh, I mean, I gave him the ticket, but uh, I put a Facebook post up on our uh, on our Facebook page. It ended up going viral. Just. I mean, it was like a few hundred thousand shares. I, th- I would say it wasn't nothing, right? Yeah, but you know what, man? The internet decides what the internet likes. You know how it works. Uh, I mean, they just decided to pick it up. And, uh, you know, basically the post was just begging this kid to slow down, man, so that I don't have to go to his house and tell his mom that he's dead. 
you know, so that his mom doesn't have to deal with him being dead. I mean, he's saving, he didn't live that far away from where he was going. He's saving 30 seconds. I'm looking to risk it all. So that's all that was. I mean, that was just, honest to God, man, it was just another another day that 100,000 cops across the country, 200,000 cops across the country do every day. Sure. And and how many, how many people have you stopped in your career doing, you know, more than double the speed limit? Uh, yeah, I mean, there's really not that many. You know, up on the highway, we'll get them at 100. Um, but they're few and far between. People don't really, you know, and they're always, almost always younger guys. Mm-hmm. I, I don't think I've ever had a girl up there doing doing 100 miles an hour. I'm not saying it doesn't so, happen, but it's always these invincible young guys. So it's happened before. <laughs> it has, it has. Not, man. Well, what, what was different? Less than five percent. What was different about this one? I told the story. That's all it was. I mean, I had the same conversation with every one of the guys I stopped, but I told this story and it got out, and, and everybody loved it. But you chose to tell it. that story. Uh, yeah, I don't know. It's important to share. You know, I run our so- our social media for this part. <laughs> I'm I'm usually pretty good at getting answers out of people. <laughs> this is not well, working. I, mean, I don't know what to tell you. I don't know what to tell you. It was a good story to share. I didn't think it was going to go like it went. I mean, it was just uh, this is a day in the life. You know, I I try to sell the department every day, every day. That's what I tell people, man. When I I, when I train these new guys, I said, look, man, we're, we're trying to win hearts and minds one heart at a time. You know, if you can win one person over a day who didn't like the police and now they like the police, win. You know, that's a pretty good so, thing to learn. I mean, that's all it was. That's all it was. Just trying to win over a couple of people. Maybe one or two kids see this and they don't speed, and now they're still here and they're not having a. You know, their moms aren't having a plan too. So, yeah. that's all it was. Man. All walks of life. That that's for sure. You always accuse me of being humble, man. But it's just you know, it's, I don't think it's being humble. I, I said there's. That's what somebody who's humble out. would say. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but really, I mean, it happens every day, and all these guys are out here doing it. Well, we'll fast forward I mean, a little I, bit through the through the transition side of it, um, because your 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 shell's a stone, man. But that's okay, because there's more to come. But we talk about the outdoors a lot in the show. We just had Tim talking about you know biking, and I know you've been very active and staying fit, um, you know, throughout the years and several different times and different ways of doing that. But when you're when you're not working and you're not out there, you know, writing Facebook posts that are going viral. <laughs> yeah. What would you say is your favorite outdoor activity to help you just kind of disconnect and reconnect? You know, it's weird, man, because uh, I've always liked being outside. I don't care what I'm doing. If I'm fishing, it's, uh, it doesn't matter. You know, I, I've never been big, big hunting, um, but I like being outside. And a few years ago, I actually hate running. I hate it. And there's something about running for miles here. My feet hit the ground, and I'm like, God, this is horrible. Mm-hmm. A few years ago, I started running through the woods. I started trail running. And, uh, and there's just something magical about being out in the woods, you know. I love it. I, I get out there. That's where I decompress. I'll be running, and I'll just stop sometimes and sit down, just listen. Listen to everything that's going on out there. And Matt knows. I mean, I'm going to retire hopefully one day up in the mountains there in Tennessee. It's on my porch, drink my whiskey. Play your banjo. Play my banjo. <laughs> <laughs> so, I got a banjo. Don't, don't get me started. You know, well, no, actually, the, you know, if you, you've listened to the show before. 
you know, country music values, first responder values, veteran values, they all very similar. What gravitated you towards the banjo? You have you have a favorite. If people don't know, you 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 just bought a banjo out of fascination. I did. I did. And yeah. what 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 inspired that? You know what I so when I remember Deliverance movie. <laughs> yeah, that's so, a real feel good movie, kind of like Lion King. Yeah. No, 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 no. <laughs> yeah, ten years old. I heard I heard Jewel and Banjo down yep. there, and, and yep. ever since then I thought, man, that that is the coolest song ever. Yep. And I'd hear it from time to time, and I'd always wanted to learn how to play the banjo, but I just never did. John Clark. But as I get closer to retirement, I'm telling my wife, I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to retire and play my banjo on, on the porch. And then I turned 50, and I'm like, man, I don't even own a damn banjo. So I went and bought a banjo. So here we are. So I got a couple years to retire. We'll see how that goes. I don't know. Well, maybe we'll have you up here in the studio one day, picking the banjo. Join a pet. No. <laughs> well, you've been pretty inspirational to a lot of folks, you know, over the years. Um, let me let me ask you this: If you can go back, you've helped so many people over the years. But if you were to go back to your 16 year old self, what would you tell yourself for advice? And uh, you know what? So I would change my life. So I got three awesome daughters. They're my wife. Uh, my wife. I, I wouldn't have any of that if my life had been any different than it is right now. But if I could go back and I would have taken school a whole lot more seriously, it probably would have put me in a better place. It would have given me more options. But even with that said, I don't, man, looking back, I don't think I'd change anything. I don't, I want to go back and do it again. And I tell my daughters that every time they have another birthday, you know, I'd love to go back and when they were born and just do it one more time. But I don't think I'd change anything, man. My life's pretty good. Well, then let, let's flip this around. Somebody who's sitting at home right now that's thinking about trying to find a new way to live their life, find happiness, and get out of this dark rut that they may be in, uh, but they're not sure what to do, where to start. Maybe there's no friends or family around because their social life has been shut down due to COVID. What advice would you give them to take that initiative or, or jump into something new? Because what you explained, man, that's depression. That's not, you know, that's not just like I want to try something new. But, you know, like the banjo, man, I know what people think when you tell me you play the banjo, but life's short. So, you know, if I want to do something, I do it. And I'm sure we'll get to it, but that's why I'm with you right now. Um, man, just sitting there and just thinking about how, whoa, almost said it. Think about how bad life is. Mm-hmm. Uh, you get nowhere. It's not getting better unless you're making the effort to make it better. You can't just sit there and think it's going to come to you or it's just going to get better. Because literally, does that happen out of the blue? You've got to put the work into it. You know? And I, I think that kind of gravitates towards, you know, most of us have that mindset, uh, which is one, a never quit mindset. But secondary to that is, you know, some people consider impulsiveness, but there's a no excuse policy. Like, if you want to do something, you're not going to make an excuse. You're just going to go do it. And right. it's, it's easy to make excuses, right? Everybody's got an excuse. Um, but if you want to learn exactly. something, you're fascinated with it, go do it. Quit thinking about it. Quit making excuses while you're not doing it. There, you know, and that's, guys make fun of me at work. My wife, everybody makes fun of me because I go from hobby to hobby to hobby. And look, there's a very good chance that in a year, I'm never going to touch that banjo again. But right now, I want to play that banjo. Sure. You know, and I do, and I jump from hobby to hobby because if I want to do something, I said life's short, man. I don't want to be 
80-year-old Jim, 90-year-old Jim sitting on my deathbed going, man, I should learn how to play the banjo. We should so, take Jim gator hunting, what do you think? Or bow fishing. <laughs> Go where? Gator hunting? Gator hunting or bow fishing, yeah. Dude, listen, <laughs> I am driving right now. I'm on Route 2. I'm heading east. I can be there in, I don't know. I can be there in like nine hours. I, I don't know how far you are. I'm a gator hunter. Are you kidding me? We'll, we'll, bring in, we'll bring you into some new hobbies and see how long these take. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Well, and now let's let's we can go ahead and let the cat out of the bag now. So Jim is now a regional team, yeah, IC Tech, yeah. and our regional sales manager. That's a scary sign of thing, man. <laughs> <laughs> but, it is, man. But there was something that brought you to that, though. Well, you know, I've never been in sales in my life. Not for a, not for a physical product. Sure. You know, I mean, clearly I'm selling things every day that I'm at work. I'm selling, <laughs> I'm selling. I'm selling the fact that you're going to jail, but it really isn't that bad. Um, <laughs> we'll we'll uh, take I'm bench selling, warrants for a hundred, Alex. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm selling this traffic ticket I'm giving you. Nah, don't worry about it. Your insurance won't care. It's okay. Just slow down. <laughs> but, but man, I don't know. You know, I you you had sent me a cooler before. I used your coolers. I used IC Tech before, and I was impressed with the cooler. I mean, I I truly believe in my heart that IC Tech's putting the best product out there right now, and not only that, but you guys are in this for the right reason. Um, I, I won't talk about everything we've talked about, but, but all you guys are in this for the right reasons. You know, if you're veteran-owned, veteran-operated, give it back to the veterans groups. Uh, if you're not looking to be, obviously me and Matt, me and Matt had a little, we had it out the other night, man, but uh, you guys aren't looking to make a billion dollars. Yep. You know, you're looking, you're looking to put the best product out there right now, uh, a product that everybody can afford. And that's one of the things I get behind, man. Because I've always wanted a roll mold cooler, but I don't have six hundred dollars to get to the other companies. So, you know, when that when you offered up this uh, this gig, I and really, I've only got six years left on retirement. And with the way things are going now, there's nothing saying I'm going to make those six years because it's a bad scene out there. Man. I mean, my city's great; they love us, but. I know, and that, but that's a shame too. Is that solid people who've been you know doing this job for the right reasons over the years are at the point where they're hanging it up, you know, by the dozens. Well, you're right, and you know what? It's not even. It's just that I could do everything right and still lose everything. I mean, that's where we are right now, and oh. it's just not worth it to me, man. I got a family. I got you know. Right. For the first time ever, I have not been able to recommend people go into this job. When people ask me, hey, man, you know what, being a cop, that's got to be cool. What do I got to do to do it? And I'm like, now is the time, man. You know, I'd give this a while. Let's see how this goes. You don't, you don't want to get into this now. Unfortunately, the other side of that is we need the good people there. Right. If the good people don't go into it, then what do we got? Well, right? and that's, that's why I wanted to bring this up. You know, as this week is the 19th anniversary of September 11th, and, you know, to go back to America on what it felt like September 12th. Yeah, right. When we were all united as one with one common function, one common liberty, one common patriotism. And now here we are 19 years later. You know, you, how I don't even know how many officers you trained and I'm not going to ask you to guess over the years, Jim, but you know, here we are, one out of those hundreds of thousands of officers, another one who's prepared to walk away from it and leave their dream. Because of where no. we're at, 
and and it, just sure. to show just to show the direction we're heading in if this continues. Oh, I, listen, man, I love it. I love my community. Uh, you know, I grew up there. I I believe for them, but it's just it's getting to the point. It's just not worth it. Anymore. It's not yeah. worth the risk that you're taking. All it takes is one traffic stop to go bad. The guy gets out with a gun, and you got to kill somebody. And you're righteous, but it don't matter. You know, you're going to be tried on social media, and you're done. Yep. You're done. The, the jury oh, of Facebook. Yeah, for real. The worst thing ever happened, man. If social media disappeared tomorrow, I'd be happy. Well, we've social talked about that. It's the devil, man. It is. But on the happier thing, so yeah, I mean, coming out with you guys is great. I mean, I, I'm a little nervous about it. I mean, Matt knows. I've called him. 47 times in the last four days. <laughs> my phone so rings. Me, my my <laughs> phone rings. I don't I don't even have to look at it. I know it's you. <laughs> yeah, I, I want to know what my ringtone is. <laughs> I'm not telling I'm you not that. telling you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, every time he answers it, I immediately start with, I thank him for answering the phone, and I apologize for calling again. <laughs> <laughs> I know I felt bad because you reached me for dinner last night. I'm like, I just sat down. I can call you a bit. You're like, nope, no worries. <laughs> so. uh, you know what? I don't even remember now. It was, I told you it was a nothing reason, and I don't even remember what it was. Yeah, you're, you're like, yeah, seriously, don't call me back. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, you're okay. Yeah, was, and then he probably turned around and called me. <laughs> I don't uh, even know I if I did or not. It was a long drive. Uh, I, I called Matt. Yeah, I called Matt with the important, the important stuff, and I try not to bother you with that stuff. That's uh, all good. We're all one team. It's still a mission. It's just a different type of mission. Well, we all know uh, that I'm the serious one change, here. Man. <laughs> <laughs> That's why the important directions come to me, because okay, I'm the real man. brains. You're the brain. Uh, I'm the brain. And you're the serious one. <laughs> yep. Hey, Jim, you just got promoted to <laughs> national sales manager. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, and that you know was what? live on the air. How about that? <laughs> <laughs> That's admissible in court. That. <laughs> you can't take that back now, man. <laughs> So, well, Jim, absolute pleasure and an absolute honor. Folks, if you're up in the Midwest area or anywhere trying to uh, get coolers in stock for your store, reach out to us at Icy Tech. Uh, Jim, your email is jim, J-I-M, at icytech.com, and uh, he'll get you hooked up. Yeah, man, listen, I'm willing to go. I mean, I'm willing to do the Great Lakes. I'm uh, hustle, man. So, yeah, anybody's on the Great Lakes especially, and, of course, if you're in Louisiana and you have a uh, gator farm um, and gator hunt, you can also reach Jim at jim at icetech.com. <laughs> exactly. So he will bring yeah, his banjo to... and entertain you during the hunt. No, I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> it's embarrassing right now. I know I'm not that good. <laughs> All right, we're going to take a quick break. Jim, thanks for being on the show. We'll have you on here again shortly, I'm sure. You're listening to Back to the Lodge on 100.9 The Farm. Hey, let's just be honest. No one can ever completely beat a mature whitetail census. But if you play your cards right, you can fool them. Now, for all the work you put into getting this close, make sure the camo you choose is up to the task. Mossy Oak made for moments like this usually right about now we'd be playing some music but due to restrictions and copyrights we can't allow music to play 
So if you'd like to hear music in between breaks, tune in every Wednesday evening from 6 to 9 p.m. Central and hear us live at backtothelodge.com. Click the Listen Now button and you'll be back to the lodge. IC Tech now has tumblers and apparel. Check out ictech.com or visit the Hardware House in Huntingdon, Bennett's Hardware of McKenzie, or Rev Power Sports in Jackson to find all your IC Tech coolers and accessories. IC Tech, the classic roto molded cooler that started an entire industry. 100% veteran owned and operated. IC Tech USA. 100.9 The Farm. We're back to the lodge. So. Jimmy, <laughs> <laughs> that's our little Bel- Belgian Mal. Yeah, he, he's, he's he's so he yeah you know, he's a canine officer and he's got Belgian Mal, and we like to pick on him because he does have Belgian Mal tendencies to <laughs> want to bark and bite real fast. Yeah. <laughs> but nonetheless, life changing, pivotal person in my life, and in an honor to have him with our team at IC Tech. So, but back to the serious side of things. Matt, where were you at? I am. I was in seventh or eighth grade. Um, so I was going to a Catholic school back in Wisconsin. Born and raised, in a, and went to a Catholic school from kindergarten to eighth grade. And uh, class size very small. I graduated with eighteen kids. Oh wow! And my favorite teacher of all time was John Kane. And I was sitting in John Kane's office or in in his classroom. And when the news came through, um, John was a pivotal person in my life because he was a history guy. That's what his thing was. And that's what gave mm-hmm. me my love for history. And I remember him walking out of the office or out of the, I'm sorry, classroom. And he came back in and you could tell something had just happened. Uh, we found out a few minutes later that we were all going to go to the computer lab because school still had computer labs and there wasn't a TV in every classroom. Mm-hmm. So when the, mm-hmm. when the computer lab and they rolled in a TV, <clears throat> on those TV stands, plugged it in. And at the time I had one, I was a little too young to quite grasp everything about the event. Um, but it started sinking in, uh, especially when tower two finally got hit. Um, they locked the school down. Um, you just got goosebumps. I know I, well, it, you know, it's crazy. Some of these, some of these things take you back. You know, there's mm-hmm. a lot of these different stories that take you back to those days. Those, um, you know, those days that will forever be remembered like this one. And I mean, I can, once it all sank in, I can, I can tell you what the room smelled like. I can tell you who was, you know, sitting next to me. Um, I remember my mom picking me up that day from school, which I usually rode the bus, but they didn't let any buses travel that day. So my mom came and picked me up and, um, I remember the world being upside down for a few days. Um, but then the next thing I remember is I remember the country coming together in a way that truthfully i think it needs to come together today um yeah you're talking about september 12th right you know just that the best day in america was september 12th Mm -hmm. it's i'll remember that the you know the from the songs that came out to the patriotic feeling that had you know never been felt at least in my lifetime as strong as it was then and has not since then um Mm -hmm. you know it's here we go again with this resiliency thing but it for a, for a moment there, the country was pushed into a really bad situation, mm-hmm. and the common person stood up. I saw the same thing when I was in Houston for the floods. Yep. Um, I mean, it it's sad that we need devastation, travesty, 
and tragedy to bring people together. Right. So where do you fix that? I mean, you talk about 9-11, and then you talk about 9-12. At 9-12, everybody held hands. Everybody sang. Everybody prayed. Everybody cried. All walks of life. All creeds, colors, and denomination. Hurricane Harvey, I was there. I, you were there, too. I was down in um, Brazoria County where it completely flooded, and I was stranded there in that neighborhood for, God, seven days. I mean, I don't even remember. How, I watched the Coast Guard helicopter fly over. It didn't even show up for probably the first, I don't know, three or four days because I stayed at the house of some friends of mine who had left town. They actually evacuated and got out. Mm-hmm. And the rainwater that came into Houston finally started to suffice after about seven days and then come south. So not only did we get hit by the hurricane, but we had torrential downpours, and it flooded. I mean, we had nothing, just nothing, just isolation. You go stir-crazy. Five, six days, you're losing your mind. Seven days, you're starting to question your sanity with no power. You know, you're just, you're just by your, on your own. But people came together. You guys came in from Louisiana on airboats and rescued people. I mean, people come together in tragedy. They came together in 9-11. They came together in Harvey. They came together... In Floyd, I mean, it just why, why does it take a tragedy to bring people together? I, it's it's a it's a hard question to unpack, and I don't think that it's a simple answer. That there is necessarily a great answer. Um, I mean, even look back to you know our deployments. Mm-hmm. You came back, especially deployment one. You come back from deployment one, and you have this mindset that you're no longer taking the American freedoms for granted, but month one month two month three rolls rolls by that you've been home and all of a sudden you know that first world lifestyle mm-hmm. you start getting mad about the fact that your internet just went out or that i can't make a cell oh, phone crazy. Call. i mean it's but you know and i didn't even i didn't especially in active duty i didn't do crap and then when i was a contractor i got to do a lot more stuff and even today we travel to different third world countries mm-hmm. um and you come back and it's like I love you, you I love America, true and true, red, white, and blue. I'm I'm a patriot, little Yankee doodle boy. But there's been times I'm on that flight coming back to the U.S. and it's like, God, why are we so miserable? Right. What are you complaining about? I mean, everybody's you know? so miserable. Right. And and you go to these countries where they have nothing. Nothing. Yep. And yet they're so happy. They're just happy. And look, it rubs off on you, and you start to appreciate. Warm water, sewers, toilets, toilet paper. I mean, just simple things. And you come back and it's like, oh my gosh, why are we complaining? This is so crazy. And you hear people say, well, look, we're more civilized. We're a first world country. We live in cities. I've been in major cities, bigger cities than New York City. And they're, they have not half the amenities. Right. Half. People are still urinating in public because there's no bathrooms. The power lines, the power lines have cables knotted up to other cables and they're falling off the pole into the streets oh and by the way i'm six foot six watch your head when you cross (laughs) the street because the transformer is only three feet off the ground that's not my problem i'll still clear it you (laughs) (laughs) this is true you know though but maybe it maybe this all comes back full circle again to the fact that what is it about being in the outdoors that gives us that release it's disconnected. It's got to. It has to you be. You don't right? see the negativity. I think you're There's, right. The trees don't complain. The birds don't. They tweet. They don't BS or, or you know whine. But you know when you're out there, that white noise is gone. In in the white noise in the cities is 
There's a TV in the background, which is usually the media. The media is complaining or painting a bad picture. It's marketing. You know, marketing's throwing your face. What should you wear? And what I really hate is what you, what should you look like? Sure. You know, beauty is defined yep. by, you know, Hollywood, Disney, Vogue. That's who designs beauty and makes people feel that they, you know, they should be a certain way. You know, it's all white noise. Turn it off. And that's why we tell folks, you know, if you want to feel a hundred times better, go out for a hike. You turn that noise off, turn that phone off. Granted, nowadays, let people know where you're going. You know, put your <laughs> tracker on. Um, you and I have done it. We've disappeared off fishing and forgot to tell people where we're going. <laughs> I'm getting the dirty look right now. Yeah. Like, yes, you did. <laughs> but I mean, you know, that you can get lost in that. And I don't mean literally lost. I mean, yes, you can, but yeah. you can get lost in yourself being out in nature and, and disconnected from all that white noise. I mean, so, I mean, you know, yeah. it, it's one of those things where, you know, like uh, surround yourself with what you want to be, you know, kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if you surround yourself with good energy, if, you know, you'll tend to follow that good energy path. If you surround yourself with bad energy, it, you know, vice versa. Did you listen to my YouTube speech? <laughs> no. Echo. <laughs> but, uh, you know, uh, but with the just being just surround yourself with nature. It, it, to me, it's like that is the one thing in this world that is truly peace well maybe we need to do an episode on universal law and quantum physics <laughs> and then we'll, we'll we'll educate nick in how the world what, works in energy wow uh, you are on to something there, there's a whole science back behind that that's what, like tangible well uh yeah we're gonna but i truly mean that you mind. know like, like i mean that well without, no that what you're saying well, that's what we're saying what you're saying is proven true physically yeah. true and, and physics so, right and so without me actually having that knowledge and actually just feeling that mm-hmm. there, I mean, you know, that's a whole different side of it than just knowing it. You know what? Maybe we ought to do this next week. Maybe that's what we need to do next week is the subconscious reprogramming. Yeah. You, you got me going now. Yeah, it's got to happen. That's what we're going to do. So that, that, <laughs> that rule that Matt change the schedule, okay. fix, fix our plans here. Okay. Um, yeah, we're gonna have to get into this next week because this is this is a three hour discussion. Actually, this is like a three day discussion that we're gonna try to pack in, cram it down, yeah. and I'm gonna give you some homework. What? Well, it's your fault. There he goes again. <laughs> it's Nick's fault. You brought it up, dude. I I, I said a paragraph and I get homework. <laughs> yep. yep, that's how this works. <laughs> Look on the bright side. I get paid to teach this to people, so. <sighs> You get it for free. Hopefully I get, yeah, I was about to say. Hopefully <laughs> I get it for free. <laughs> but, um, you know, it. you're, you're right. And, and that's what we got to do. So, again, it gets back to the question, why does it take a tragedy? Why does it take a tragedy to get away from it? And, and T.D. Jakes was one of his most notorious speeches was comrade, confidant, and constituent. I don't know if you guys ever heard that one. I have. Have you heard that one, Nick? Nope. Okay. <laughs> All the people. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Christian preacher. Um, you know, it says you, you have three types of people in your life. You have your constituents, people who believe in what you believe in. They mm-hmm. support what you support. 
and you have your comrades, people that share a common enemy as you. They disagree with what you disagree with. And then you have a confidant. You're lucky to have maybe three to six confidants in your entire life. That's somebody who's by you thick and thin. They're the guy that's sitting next to you in jail going, man, that was fun. <laughs> Everybody else is out. <laughs> so, you know, the confidant is that one that's really with you. The, the comrade is the one that helped you uh, beat the heck out of the guy that wronged your sister. That That's your comrade. Mm-hmm. Your constituent is the guy who is for helping you build that habitat home for humanity, you know. Anyways, it really kind of boils down to that three, is that the psyche is different. Like, we look at people in those three categories. They're either with you for the right reasons, or they're with you to be against the same things you're against, or they're with you all the way. But yet, it always takes tragedy for the comrade side to grow. Mm -hmm. Or, in 9-11's case, well, 9-11's case was the comrade side. We all shared a common enemy. Yep. So when you share a common enemy, we come together. Once the common enemy is conquered, then we're no longer together. We don't share that commonality. Mm-hmm. And people look for excuses to repel energies against each other, in my two cents of opinion. And I think that's what we're dealing with now. We've, we, How many years have we... It's been 19 years since an attack on U.S. soil. Right. It's never been that long. No. And mm-hmm. I don't mean to sound morbid. But it was it was average. I think it was every ten years. Uh, no, not even ten. I think it was six. Because none, you had World Trade Center one. You had Oklahoma City bombing, which was domestic. Sure, but regardless, but yeah, you had it, right? yeah, you had Lockerbie. I mean, you had yep. Americans were involved at some rate. Sure, one way or the other, less than ten years. So to go nineteen years, um, and that's a great thing. Don't get me wrong. But going like you said, go back to September twelfth. Everybody woke up. Everybody hated Bin Laden. And we moved on. Now, granted, there's all kinds of conspiracy theories out there. But at the end of the day, none of those conspiracy theories are honoring the memory of those who are lost. Mm. So, you know, there's nothing wrong with asking questions. People should always ask questions. I encourage you to ask questions. But there's a time and a place. Agreed. Yep. So, all right, I'm stepping off my soapbox. (laughs) (laughs) It's a short soapbox because I don't need any being <laughs> I mean, you hit all of that. I mean, right on the head. Um, you know, everything you said is are things that I feel, and I think that most people feel. Um, you know, with the issues that we see today, um, what was beautiful about September twelfth was there was no Democratic Party, there was no Republican Party, mm-hmm. which is where you know a lot of of you know i feel today's issues right now is that there is no gray area anymore um but yeah for for many many reasons after you know september 12th was it was beautiful it was obviously we were all still shaken with what had had happened but there were i mean the the little dramas that we had were nothing yeah um and then people get so far removed from that Mm -hmm. that all of a sudden your little you know, mountain into a mohill. We'll go with that expression. Everybody takes their small problems and makes them huge, which yeah. anybody who's ever spent time, it doesn't have to be on a deployment, but just outside of America, outside of a first world nation comes back here. And then for the first, the first month, you just keep shaking your head, you know, at, at the things that just, that, that bother people. Um, and I can get myself back in that mindset. Oh yeah. And I think everybody can. I think the people that were old enough to remember September 12th, can bring themselves back to that moment 
which is important. It's just how, I don't know how you stay there. Um, well, and that's, I mean, ever since COVID hit, it, and not that it was anywhere near the same, but the emotional response is everything it was then, less the patriotism. Sure. It, it's uncertainty. Sure. It's slow economy. It's, uh, again, I'll stress the uncertainty. It's not knowing what tomorrow brings. What's the new normal? And and people are searching for that normal. And while you're waiting for that answer, anxiety is high. And I think that's where we were. If I, you know, going back then, because I was 20 years old, um, you know, it, it, there was just so much uncertainty. And uncertainty, look, you went to boot camp, you went in the military. The fear of unknown <laughs> was the number one training tool. You know, yep. hurry up and wait, and you have no idea what happens tomorrow. Even though, it, just even the days you go to boot camp, you, you, that every day is so structured, it's so planned. Every instructor, every personnel on that base knows exactly what's going to happen in the next sixty minutes, and the next day, and the next week. You don't know what's going to happen in the next five seconds. Right. <laughs> so, yep. you know that element of surprise is what helps you grow and develop. And you don't give it the credit that it really, truly deserves when you get older in life because people throw stuff at you all the time and you're like, that's it. Right. You know, and everybody else is losing their minds. On the other hand, we freak out about the dumbest crap. Dumbest. <laughs> and I get reeled in all the time. I'm going to tell, tell them the biggest stressor we had today. Are we talking about the door? We're talking about the door. Why? <laughs> <laughs> This is overthinking at its best. Make a quick shout out to our boy uh, Jeff Kneeball down at End Designs, who's going to be wrapping this trailer that we're about to talk about. Because <laughs> do we, we get a discount for that? <laughs> I doubt it. So um, we were trying to fix. So we, we got a 16 foot enclosed trailer. It's got a little man, 17, 17. Get it right. Foot. It's got a man door on the side to access it from the side. And there's a catch that when you open the door all the way where it folds back against the side of the trailer, there's a catch to keep it closed so the wind doesn't open it. Sure. It's 12 foot. (laughs) I'm so stuck on it. It's 12. 12 foot. We don't want to exaggerate length. So we uh, we're trying to figure out how to open this door because Patrick had told me of said issue that door doesn't open all the way. So I'm like, oh, you got to be crazy. I mean, let me go figure this out. Just goes to show you listen to everything I say. And we sat there for no less than five minutes figuring out why this door would not open further than 90 degrees. Um, we so we were trying to find the flex points of what's catching. Is it the bottom hinge? Is it the top hinge? We, I mean, we There's put, four of us standing there. We put, we sprayed it. I mean, I, we did everything that we could think of. I put of, half a can of silicone into that hinge. So then we give up. <laughs> Patrick sends a video to the, you know, it's got a warranty to the so dealer, we, yeah. to the dealer. Hey, you know, look, this, this door has got a problem. How do we fix this? And, uh, well, then the realization hits, uh, that there is a chain that keeps that door from opening up all the way. Well, who figured that out though? I wasn't even there. So it's exactly. Not, I'm taking credit for that. At fine. least you're still the one that brought up the issue. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like a storm door. There's a chain that keeps it from over traveling, but the chain was hooked <clears throat> on itself. I'm like, wait a minute. Simple physics. Undo the chain. Oh, look at that. I was still on the phone with the dealer. I'm like, hey, man, you know what? I'm wrong. Have a great day. But we were stressed. <laughs> this is that mountain in Mohill. We were stressed because we had to take we have to Time. take this trailer with us next week on our trip, and we got to get this door fixed, and, you know. <laughs> Start a company, they said. That'd be great. <laughs> Builds character. I drool on myself sometimes. <laughs> yeah. Speaking of which, let's take a quick break. 
<laughs> we got to give credit to the sponsors that actually pay to keep this show going. You're listening to Back to Lodge bless them. <laughs> <laughs> on 100.9 The Farm. When you purchase an Icy Tech cooler, not only are you getting the best and original Rotomold cooler for your barbecue, your kid's graduation party, or maybe even the boat, but your proceeds from that purchase go on to help Gold Star families receive grief counseling retreats so they can heal and get a little piece of their heart back. So they can have the same quality of life that we share. Icy Tick, USA. This country was born to believe in something larger than itself. A belief that the citizens within it could accomplish anything. From defeating an empire to sending a man to the moon, we built cities, formed the land, and through this an original spirit was born that has forged friendships, been celebrated, and at times been the cause of debate. We might not always agree, but there is one thing we can all agree on, love of country and love of a fine bourbon. America Bourbon, vet owned and made proudly in the USA, available nationwide at most leading retailers and at americabourbon.com. We are back to the lodge on 100.9 The Farm with the commemorative episode for 9-11. It's 19th anniversary this week on Friday. <clears throat> of course, the show's on Wednesday, so we're doing it today, and it's released. This episode is released on podcasts through all major platforms internationally on Friday, which is new. No. Are you okay? Try not to cough. <laughs> Matt's <laughs> microphone went up, leaned I think over, I and like, it. it's game over. He's, I need, a, he's we need one of those cough buttons. A cough button? Yeah, they make those buttons. Oh, you know what? Okay, look, this is an outdoor show. We can talk about this. Okay. I'm now formerly a former smoker, and years ago, I used to cough a lot. Mm-hmm. I remember being in Annapolis, Maryland, and I went to a sporting goods store, and I can't even remember which one it was at this time. And I was hunting the Shenandoah Valley, Blue Ridge Mountains over in Northern Virginia. Mm-hmm. South on 81, down past, what is it, Mount Jackson. <clears throat> and I'm in this store, and it says, <laughs> this is the uh, coffer's box. And you put it to your mouth, and you cough into it, and it mutes your cough. I'm like, oh, that's pretty cool. I had one. Oh, you did? Yeah. Okay, so then you know what I'm talking oh, about. Oh, yeah. You can, I pick yeah. this thing up, and I gently cough into it in the store, like, this is so wrong. I'm putting my mouth on it. You would definitely not, not do, do this that now. Today. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, that's cool. You know, but I was doing that. <laughs> you know. Oh, okay. So I take this thing. I buy it. You know, one of those impulse yeah, buys. It wasn't super expensive. Yeah, I think I paid like 10, 10 bucks, bucks for something. Yeah, yeah it was cheap. Like the cough box. And I had it with my buck grunt call, my dough yeah. bleat. Throw out my bang. Head down there. 81 stop. Man, I'm having a great time. It's a beautiful drive in the Shenandoah and fall. Leaves are changing. Beautiful. I'm super happy. I'm going hunting. I mean, I'm happy. Mm-hmm. I get in this tree and get my back. I always take, I, I hunt from tree stands. I'm a, I'm a stand hunter. I don't like climbers. I'm tall, really tall. So climbers aren't my thing. I get my ladder stand and I always take my backpack. I always have a backpack and I'll put it or a little fanny pack kind of thing. You look like a fanny pack kind of guy. You can kiss my butt. <laughs> and I'll, I'll just hang it to the stand to my left side. Bow on the right side. I reach in my bag and I get my call out. My call's got a string on it. I kind of tether it to myself. Or I'll tether it to the stand yep. so I can just kind of bring it up to me. I'm sitting there and, hey, I have to cough. I'm, I'm getting cold, sniffly. I got to cough. I'm like, oh, I bought the cough box. Well, my throat must have been tickling pretty good. I put this cough box in my mouth, and I just let it go, just taking a deep breath. 
And I'm thinking, I'm going to clear these lungs out into this box. And I swear to God, my eyeballs popped out of my sockets <laughs> and my butthole turned inside out. <laughs> there was no airflow through this box. You cough in your thumb and you would have had a better response. And it was like, <clears throat> and my <laughs> earwax sh- shot out both my ears. My eyeballs turned inside out. I levitated. It was the worst experience of the entire night. I had air pop behind my eyes. And to this day, my eye squishes when I touch it. <laughs> I, if there was ever a reason, Nick, why we needed a camera in this studio, it was for that face. Because it, it, it's like it all happened again when he did it. Like his eyes bulged. His, it, was, it was the worst purchase of my life. See, I mean, I didn't. Like, I, I'm not. I'm not going to sit here and be. I'm a huge fanboy of this cough suppressant thing but i did have one um i'm wondering I, if it was the same one though. i'm wondering if you had it backwards and it wasn't bent you know what i mean there was no arrow <laughs> but was it mine was shaped like a deer call it was a long tube no mine was more oh. of a square cube okay no, and it had was, like a, a cotton hole in one side well i i mean i'm not gonna say it worked great it definitely worked better than just coughing into the air but i mean i didn't have that violent of an experience <laughs> I don't still own it though. So I need, a, I mean, I need a toilet paper after it was over. <laughs> it was bad. It was so bad. Oh. But things like that just ruin a hunt. <laughs> <sighs> I could tell stories all day about bad hunts, but so can I. But some of the verbiage that I would have to use, we'll save it for the podcast. Yeah. That'll be that'll be the go-to. Yeah, that was that was a bad experience, and then. Um, no, don't want to talk about that. <laughs> as soon as I think of some of these things, I'm like, yep, nope, nope, activist group. <laughs> nope, not doing that one. Nope, that probably wasn't a smart move. Um, no, the worst, I think, life, just life experience-wise, was hunting in the mountains by myself. And I was cooking dinner over a campfire. I think I, was, I had some fish that I wrapped in foil. And I was just cooking it on, you know, just open pit. And it was pretty dark. I had one flashlight next to me. My rifle was in the camper. It was this old rundown camper that probably hadn't moved in, I don't know, 50 years. It was friends of mine. And he said, go stay there. We haven't stayed there in 10 years. You know, might need to clean it up a bit. Well, I'm sitting outside of dark cooking this fish. And I hear something running full speed through the woods. And, you know, you can't really respect a deer or a bear. Uh, as much as I respected a deer bear that night, when it's pitch black, you see nothing, and they can run 40 miles yeah, an hour right. in trees. Dude, you try running in the forest, in the woods at dark, at full sprint. Let's make a video of that. I'll try it. You're, you're going to get hurt. I mean, it's just it's amazing <laughs> yeah, how resilient they are. But when you're, you're in the dark and you hear that, and it's coming right at you. Pee comes out. <laughs> <laughs> And it jumped, grabbed the fish, and took off. It was bear, small black bear. It wanted my food. And I'm like, oh, that sucks. So I'm pretty sure I've had a heart attack at this point. I go into the camper and find my key fob because my truck had pulled in nose first to the camper. And I hit the unlock on the key fob so the lights turn on. And I can see just dust. (laughs) This thing hauled butt through the woods. I'm like, well... I have no food. So now I'm going to bed hungry and slightly pissed. So anyways, 
laying in there, I hear it again. I'm like, this is not cool. So I grab my rifle and open the door, and there's nothing there. This proceeds to happen about six times throughout the course of the night. I'm I'm upset. I'm I'm heartbroken at that. And then realize my truck battery's dead. <laughs> Can't get home the next day. God. I'm four hours from home. Ooh. Until next week, <laughs> ask yourself, what are you grateful for? Especially today. From 100.9 The Farm in West Tennessee, I'm Patrick. I'm Matt. I'm Nick. And we are back to the lodge. We'll see you next week. Stay there. Freedom itself was attacked this morning by a faceless coward. And freedom will be defended. Make no mistake. The United States hunt down and punish those responsible for these cowardly acts. Hey everybody, Nick here from Back to the Lodge. If you like the show, if you like the content, subscribe to us, follow us, leave a review on whatever platform you're listening to us on. And hey, if you want to listen to us live, don't forget to tune in each Wednesday night from 6 to 9 p.m. Central Time. You can go back to thelodge.com, click the Listen Now button, and you'll be listening live. But until next time, we'll see you when we head back to the Lodge. <laughs>